Well, if you're a little discouraged by maybe you haven't had the gospel conversations you want to or you know, maybe you don't know if you can or, or maybe you just think, well, I'm just too old to do that kind of thing, uh, whatever. I've got a good video I want you to watch now. I think it's about four minutes. Richard Blackaby, the son of Henry Blackaby, who wrote this material, Richard Blackaby is talking about the last reality, reality number seven, and, and, then, and he tells us a story. And let's watch this together. I have a good friend named Nell. She uh, is a widow, and at uh, the age of 66, uh, she was simply attending church, doing the same thing she'd always done, not really expecting God uh, to do anything new in her life. One day, she noticed there was a, a witnessing training program being offered at her church, and she sensed God inviting her and saying, you need to sign up for this. She, God was convicting her and saying, Nell, you, you've gone to church for 66 years, but you've never told anybody about me. You need to take this course. Nell had a crisis of belief. She thought to herself, I, I'm 66 years old. I haven't been in school in over 40 years. What if you have to memorize things? What if you have to talk to people about this? But uh, God just would not release her. And so she signed up and took each week the course that was offered. On the last night, she had to go out with a, a facilitator and actually talk to someone about Christ. Nell was terrified. And they stood on someone's doorstep, rang a doorbell, and uh, the facilitator began to break the ice. And then she turned to Nell and said, Nell, don't you have something to, to share with our friend here? Nell was shaking like a leaf, but she began to share in a very disjointed and unprofessional manner uh, the story of Christ and his offer of salvation. And at the end of her very uh, disjointed, confused presentation, she said to the woman of the house, would you like Christ to come into your life and forgive your sins, be the Lord of your life? And to her amazement, the woman said, yes, she, she would. And so they prayed with her that night, and she accepted Christ. Well, Nell was so excited that she went home, and she went and bought a little a notebook and wrote on page one, number one, wrote the name of the person who accepted Christ, wrote the date down as well as some information about what had happened, and that night she prayed and said, God, this has been the most exciting thing I've ever experienced in my life. I, I just can't imagine that someone's in, entire eternity will be forever changed because of something you did through my life. But she said, God, before I die, would you just let me add one more name to this book? Would you let me put a number two in this book? What well, was it long before she's praying with someone else to receive Christ? And then the next week she's leading someone else to Christ. And every time she'd add their name to her book, and eventually, uh, she had put so many names in that book that even evangelism classes in, in large Christian universities are interviewing her, and they're going in and checking out people whose names are in this book to verify that so many people have come to know Christ. Well, about a year ago, I had the opportunity to go by her house along with my wife, and, and now she's 80 years old. And uh, when we got into her kitchen, I said, uh, Nell, you know what I want to see? And she slid over her book, and I opened it up, and I could see just name after name after name, and I was flipping to the back of the book trying to find the, the total number of people she led to Christ, and I went all the way to the back of the book, and there's names right to the very end of the book, and I realized that she had been entering names uh, every other line, but she'd filled the book up, so she had gone back and began writing names in all the spaces. Finally, I found the last number, and at that time, it was 3,147 people. 
And uh, I looked at her and I said, Nell, for 66 years, you did not lead anybody to faith in Christ. How can you explain in the last 14 years leading over 3,100 people uh, to become Christians? And I'll never forget the look on her face as she said, one day God just convinced me that there was so much more he wanted to do in my life. She said, I'd heard about other people being used by God, but I discovered that when I stepped out in obedience to what God was asking me to do, she said, I began to experience God in ways and in, in, a, in a source of power like I never dreamed was possible for someone as ordinary as me. And I've learned that uh, when you go with God, if you're going to experience God, you can't just sit safely ensconced in your home, in your living room, in your fishing boat. You've got to obey what he tells you to do and go with him. And you'll experience him in a real and vibrant and growing way, just like people did throughout the Bible. Isn't that amazing? We all want to be nailed, don't we? Or at least I hope you do. Uh, do you remember the seventh reality? Even if you have to go back and look in your book. Do you remember reality number seven, what it is? The seven realities of experiencing God. What's the seventh one? I hear mumbling. Yes. You come to know God by experience as you obey Him, and He accomplishes His work through you. For the first 66 years of Nell's life, she had not really experienced God in a dramatic way. And I don't know if you remember what she said or what he, Richard said that she said. She said, one day God convinced me that there was so much more that He wanted to do in my life. Now she's 66 when God convinces her of this. She said, when I stepped out in obedience to what God was asking me to do, I began to experience God in ways that I never dreamed possible for someone who is as ordinary as me. When I stepped out in obedience to do the things God was asking me to do, never dreamed that I would experience God the way that I have. That's what she said. Again, the seventh reality. You come to know God by experience as you obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. I want you to focus on this idea that God wants to accomplish his work through you. He wants to accomplish his work through us. That's what session or unit 11 is all about. Uh, in, in fact, in unit 11, he talks on page 226, if you want to open your workbook. He talks there about every church being a world missions strategy center. Page 226. Every church, he says, I've got it on the bottom of, the, of, the, uh, of that page, I've got it highlighted, that last paragraph. A church is a living organism, a body with Christ as its head. We talked last time in, in the unit that, that I taught last time, we talked about the church as the body of Christ, that we are his body, his representative here on earth. And, and he says, each part of that body is to be related to Christ and to one another. Anytime God guides his people, he can impact a world through that congregation. Uh, Jesus gave us commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And as they obey that command, every congregation is a world missions strategy center. God can impact the world through one church if it adjusts itself to God's activity. Now, what does that mean to you? What do you think he's saying there? Is that true for any church or does that have to be a, you know, a big church? Uh, Chris and I had lunch with, with uh, my brother today trying to 
help them maybe take some steps in the area of, of being a, a missions-focused church. So is that true for every church? What does it mean to be a world missions center? Tell me what you think he's talking about in, in day one, uh, starting on page 226. Every church is a world missions strategy center. What, what, in essence, what is he saying there? All right, don't, don't just focus on one area. Just All right, that's good. What else? Great Commission applies to everyone. Absolutely. What? Obedience. The Great Commission applies to everyone, all of us. We've got to obey. What were you going to say? Yeah. Think in these terms with me for just a moment. How is the gospel ever going to go out to those who desperately need it unless God's people, the church, takes it, right? So I, I do indeed think that he wants to use the local church as a world missions strategy center. But how is it going to do that? Take your books... Page 226, 227, and 228. 226, 227, 228. Tell me, tell me uh, if you would, what you got from those two or those three pages as he talks about how we can be a church strategy uh, or a world mission strategy center. What did you find out there about how to do that, how to be on mission to the world? One by one? What else? Do you remember the story on page 225? Do you remember the story of this little bitty church? And I actually looked it up today online to make sure it's still there. And it is. And they're still thriving apparently. Uh, but, but this church uh, on page 221, Gary Hillyard was the pastor of Beverly Park Church in Seattle, Washington. Church attendance ran about 110 on Sundays. Forty church members took training to learn to pray, and eight committed themselves to pray daily for God to show them how he wanted to grow their church. Nineteen members began a study of experiencing God. Uh, when immigrants from the Ukraine began attending Beverly Park, members joined God in what he was doing. One day, a new family arrived, and a man asked Gary if the church would like to have his father's house in, how would you pronounce that, that name? Lugansk, all right, a city of 650,000. Gary called me to ask to whom they should give the house. I responded that this sounded like God's invitation for the church to get involved in world missions. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. How many did they have on Sunday mornings? 110. This is not a mega church. Let's keep reading. Though behind in its budget, don't miss this, behind in its budget, what does that mean? Having problems paying the bills, right? Though behind in its budget, Beverly Park voted to accept the house, and members began praying. It's like, okay, if God's going to give us a house, well, then we'll see what he wants to do with it. Within weeks, Don English called Gary. Do you remember our prayer time seven years ago, before the fall of communism, when I sensed God would one day call me as a missionary to the Soviet Union? Well, God has told me that now is the time to go. 
Gary replied, well, I've got good news for you. We have a house, and it's in Lugansk, Ukraine. Beverly Park voted to call Don and his family to be its missionaries. But Gary called me again and said the church had how much money in the bank? <laughs> when I read that, I was like just shaking my head. It's like, okay, we got $21 in the bank. Uh, we're going to call these folks to be our missionaries. So, so the pastor called uh, uh, Henry Blackaby, and he has a very good question. Now what do we do? That's a really good question. Well, you got $21 in the bank, and you're calling somebody to go to Ukraine as your missionaries. I suggested that they clarify that this was indeed the Lord's leading. Then they needed to trust the Lord to provide what he had called them to do. I underlined that in my book. They, they had to clarify that this was indeed the Lord's leading. Then they needed to trust the Lord to provide for what he had called them to do. Do you really believe that God can provide for what he calls you to do? Do you believe that God can provide for what he calls us to do? We... I don't want to get into the specifics of this, but recently we've, we've been notified about an opportunity in another part of the world, and, and, and they've invited us to join them in this project that, where they need some help. And, and we may share that with you. We're, we're praying through it right now. It's like, God, what do you want us to do? But if we were to take on that project, it would be a huge task and a huge amount of money. So when I read this, I, I, I thought about that project. It's like, great day, they only had $21 in the bank. And they decided to do what God had called them to do. Now, my, my point is simply this. I believe with all of my heart that God wants every church to be a mission strategy center. But, it, but not every church will do the same thing. You've got to find out where God is calling you. You've got to find out, as a church, we have to find out, what is God, how is God going to use us to carry out his mission? And he uses churches differently. He gifts churches differently. He brings different people to the church. So how is God going to use us to be a, a, a missions strategy center? You know, for a while, God used us in Costa Rica, didn't he? We are a strategy coordinator church in Costa Rica for 10 years. That was a wonderful season in, in the life of our church. And now we, we are simply saying, well, Lord, what's next? How would you use us next? Where would you use us next? But the thing that, I, that we don't want to do is just to sit down and say, okay, we're done. Or, okay, we've done enough. Because there's so many people in the world who need the Lord, and we have to be sure that we're helping to do our part to reach out to them. Now, before I move into session 12, uh, section 12, I've just got to tell you this one thing that, that just broke my heart. And it will be a good lead-in to, to the next session. When we had our one day, I don't think I've told you this story. Uh, if I have, forgive me. Uh, but when we had our one-day missions event in Columbia here three weeks ago, um, you know, I, I was traveling the state and, and talking to people and promoting one day and everybody come sign up for one day and just trying to build momentum towards that November 7th date. 
and I got word from a fellow pastor that, that he had talked to somebody, uh, another pastor in his association about, hey, why don't you sign up for one day? Why don't you bring your church and be a part of one day? And this, this fellow pastor told this friend of mine, Sorry, but I didn't mean that to be on, but that's my brother Larry who is at Duke Hospital still. He's been there for three and a half weeks and still there. So I'll call him just as soon as we get done here. I guess he's forgotten that I'm a preacher and that we have church on Wednesday night. Or it may be something serious. So if, it call, if he calls back, then, then I'll definitely answer the phone. So anyway... Uh, this, this pastor friend of mine was inviting another pastor to, for he and his church to come to Columbia and be a part of one day. And this pastor looked at the pastor, my pastor friend and said, no, we're not going to do it. And he said, why? He says, I have no intention of doing that. He said, why? He said, because it won't do one thing to help my church. And it just broke my heart when I heard that, that, he was so narrow-minded that I'm only going to do something that will help my church. I want you to know something. That's not a kingdom mindset. By the way, I think it would have helped his church, but that's a whole other thing, right? But, but that's not a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset is, first of all, it's not my church. It's his church. And it's not just our church it is the church and the kingdom mindset is what can we do together for the kingdom and if we're ever going to be a mission strategy center we've got to get off of the notion of well it won't help my church I'm about to start preaching I'm going to need to go home but but I, I do want want to use that as a lead into the next session or section the next unit uh, unit 12 because this is exactly what uh, Henry Blackaby is talking about in Unit 12 is experiencing God in your daily life and having kind of a, a kingdom mindset. And so let me just kind of dive in here, and we're going to ask for your participation along the way. Um, what I want to talk about in this session, Session 12, Unit 12, uh, is basically, I want to try to ask and answer the question, why is it that God places you in the church? Why is it that God places you where you are? Why has he brought you to Mount Airy? You know, whenever God does something, it's always with a purpose in mind. Can I challenge you with this? Whenever God does something, it's always with a purpose in mind. We often do things on impulse, right? Have you, have you ever do, we do things on impulse. We do things without giving very much thought to it. Sometimes we don't even have to have a reason. I mean, you've asked your teenager, why'd you do that? Oh, no. A lot of times they don't know because they really didn't have plan it. They, did, it just, they just kind of, you know, jumped in. And, and uh, well, here's what I want you to understand. God never does that. God always acts deliberately. And when he does something... It is with his sovereign plan in mind. God is never flippant like, well, I don't know. When he does something, he does it with a purpose. He does it with a plan. So I ask the question again, why did God place us in a church? And there's two reasons. These are just extra notes if you just want to jot down some things as we look at them. There's two reasons God places you in the church. 
First one is this, and it's going to sound strange, but it's true. Just hang on, let me explain it to you. The first reason that God places us in a church is because God needs us. God needs us. And what I mean by that, it goes back to what we talked about last time about the body of Christ, uh, that God, that we are the body of Christ, and God is going to accomplish his will in the earth through the body of Christ, through the church. Uh, but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it in Scripture. So open the word with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. If you're taking notes, write down, be sure you write down that Scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says in, in verse 10, His intent, God's intent... That's, a, that's a, an, a unique and important phrase. His intent was that now, what's those next three words? Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the, in the heavenly realm. So his intent is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. That God needs us in that regard, that God is going to use us, we might say, uh, to make known his manifold wisdom to those in the world. So one of the reasons God places us in a church is because God needs us. He needs us so that he can make his will known, his, his ways known to the world. The second reason that God has placed you in this church is because Christians need each other. God needs us, number one. Number two, Christians need each other. I'm here to say tonight that you can't become the Christian, the complete Christian that God wants you to be if you're separated from a New Testament church. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and I probably should be saying this on Sunday morning, not on Wednesday nights when we've got the smaller group. I probably need to be saying this on, on Sunday morning, but let me go ahead and say it to you now. Uh, let me give you three reasons to show you how uh, you need one another and how you can't be a complete believer in the Lord without one another. First of all, write this down. Number one, fellowship with the body of Christ is an important part of fellowship with God. One of the reasons you need the church family is because fellowship with the body of Christ is an important part of fellowship with God. Again, I always want to point you to Scripture, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Here's what it says, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, do you remember that I talked to you Sunday morning? Uh, you may not remember how I phrased this, but I said, when does it happen? When do people lose interest in God? How do people lose their zeal, their desire for God? That's, that's what I was talking about this past Sunday. I, I wish I had thought of this verse when... When I was preaching Sunday, because that's exactly what he's talking about. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I want you to notice in these two verses that, that it deals with two different but related types of fellowship. Verse 12 refers to our fellowship with God. Look, for, look at it for yourself. It refers to our fellowship with God. Verse 13 refers to our fellowship with God's people. Both are vitally important. 
And verse 12 talks about our potential that we have, that we all have within us to turn away from God. See, the reason you can't be careless about your faith, listen to me, I'm really going to I'm really going to confront you with this one uh, and hopefully encourage you at the same time. The reason you can't be complacent about your, your relationship with this church is because if you get complacent about your relationship with church, you will get complacent about your relationship with God. Just no other way around that. This is what it's talking about in verse 12. Look at it again. See to it, brothers, that none of you, that is, this is something you all need. There's there's not one of you that's exempt from this. See see to it, brothers, that that none of you has a, a sinful, unbelieving heart that, man, look at this, that turns away from the living God. How does anybody turn away from the living God? Because they've turned towards something other than God. Turn towards something sinful and their heart become hardened. And they turn towards something other than God. And if you look back, verses 7 through 11, it refers to the history of, of the nation of Israel. And just an important lesson that, that that came through that time. Let me just read that for you. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear, and, and by the way, he's quoting here, Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95. And he says, So as the Holy Spirit says, and here's where he quotes Psalm 95, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as, did, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years uh, and saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, look at this. Their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Their hearts are always going astray. That was the major problem the people of Israel had. See, they had a heart problem. Somebody said the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. And that's so true. So the way to stay in fellowship with God, don't miss this. The way to stay in fellowship with God is to stay in fellowship with God's people. Encourage one another, he says. Verse 13, encourage one another. If you're not part of God's people, then you can't be encouraged. And encourage one another, how often did he say to do it? Daily. Encourage one another daily. Christians need each other. Encourage one another because of the sinfulness of the heart. Go over to Hebrews chapter 10, another very familiar scripture, I'm sure, for a lot of you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Now, I know that you've read this scripture, you've heard me preach on this scripture, but when we read it, I want to call your attention to something that perhaps we haven't seen before. Let's just read it first, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There it is again, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Now, the thing, the interesting note to me about this passage of Scripture is the emphasis here is not on what the believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he contributes to the assembly. Ever notice that? The emphasis here is not on come to church because of what you're going to get out of it. The emphasis is be sure you're part of the family of God because of what you can do for somebody else. I'm really wanting to start preaching now, but I, I'm just... Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you what has happened to the church in America. Not Mount Airy, the church in America. We have developed a consumer mentality. And the consumer mentality is what's in it for me? What will I get out of it? And if I don't like what's in it for me, if I'm not getting out of it what I think I want, if I'm not being entertained, if, I'm not, if my kids aren't, it, it, it's just a consumer mentality. And, if, and if, if, if I don't get what I want, like I'm going to Walmart, and if I don't find it, I'm going to another store. Well, if I don't get what I want here, I'll go somewhere else and find it there. It's a consumer mentality. And it's foreign to Scripture. It says in this word right here that, that the, the idea behind chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the emphasis is, is not on what you get from attending. Rather, the emphasis of Scripture is what can you contribute by attending. Is that a sign that we need to leave? <laughs> the light just went off in somebody's head. Jesus, Oh, the light bulb just went off. All right, so let me just read this. I want to move on one more time. Let us not consider, oh, I'm sorry. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not how I can get something out of it. How we can help one another. Number two, second thing I want to tell you about helping each other is, number two, if you're taking notes, helping each other in discipleship is part of God's plan for the church. Helping each other in discipleship is part of God's plan for the church. Now, this is probably my favorite part that I want to share with you, and I'm just going to ask you to do me a favor. I want to ask you to, to listen to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and that, don't even open your Bibles to that. Make, just close your Bibles. I don't even want you to look at it. Because that is a very familiar passage of Scripture. And in fact, what do we call that passage of Scripture? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What do we call that passage of Scripture? Yeah, the Great Commission. We're very familiar with that. And I'm glad that we are. Listen as I read it. And after I read it, I want you to tell me if what I said was true or false. Right? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is that true or false? False. Who said false? Who said false? You did. All right, way up there. Well, what... what What's wrong with it? Exactly. I left out two words. I left out the words to obey. Listen to it again. 
I'll start in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. Now, that's the way I read it, but that's not the way it's written. Here's what it's written. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Is there a difference between teaching everything I have commanded you and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you? Is there a difference? What's the difference? Yeah, absolutely. One implies knowledge and the other implies life change. If he had said, teach them everything I have commanded you, that's knowledge, and you can learn that by reading a book. But he didn't say, teach them everything I've commanded you. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So one implies knowledge, but, this, but if you read it correctly, it implies life change. If, if all we needed, this is where you've you got to focus with me. If all we needed was knowledge, teaching them everything I've commanded you, if that's all we had to do, then we could do that alone. We could do that by ourselves. We wouldn't need each other. I can read a book and I can learn everything he's commanded. He didn't say that. He said, you teach them to obey everything. The way that you teach them to, if we're going to teach people to, to obey and encourage one another to obey, that's something we can't do Separately, that's something that we need each other for. You see, obedience is a lifelong process. And that's why God has placed you within the context of a church. Because we need each other. We need, we need each other's encouragement. We need each other's correction. We need each other's instruction. We need each other so that we can learn to obey everything he has commanded us. Because our sinful fallen nature, we don't want necessarily sometimes to obey. Or we are afraid to obey. Or we're not even sure what it means to obey. And so in the context of the church, in the context of God's people, that's where we learn and are encouraged to obey. Sometimes that's where we are corrected when we fail to obey. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll close with this and I'll I want you to read this one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Here's what it says. It was he, that is God, who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's the term we looked at last time, so that the body of Christ may be built up. To prepare God's people for works of service has the idea of you're doing something. This is something that's active. This is something you're obeying. This is something you're a part of. It's not just something that you know. It's not just something, knowledge that you gather. But to prepare God's people for works of service. That is to do something. To be on mission with him to the world. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Until, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, 
We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. Don't miss speaking the truth in love. We need each other. We have to speak into each other's lives. We, we need each other. We have to be instructed, verse 11 and, and 12. We, we, have, we, we need each other. We've got to be instructed and, and, uh, and guided and prepared. And, and verse 15, we need to speak into each other's lives. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Don't miss this last part. As each part does its work. As each part does its work. The greatest threat to your fellowship with God is when you allow anyone or anything to make you a spectator rather than an active participant in what God wants to do. When you become a spectator and not an active participant, then you become a target for the enemy. And if you don't continually encounter God firsthand, your fellowship with God will grow cold and you'll quit caring about God's church. You'll quit caring about God's kingdom. You'll quit caring about the lost world. That's why he says encourage one another daily. So, what does all that mean for you and me at Mount Airy Baptist Church? I love the way you were describing it earlier when you said, I'm more aware than I've ever been of God working around me. I'm more aware of what I'm, I've been looking for God and where he's working. Please keep doing that. Don't stop because we've come to the end of the study. Please keep doing Let that be a part of the way that you live. Let it be part of your life. Maybe... As you obey him, as we're talking about reality number seven, as you obey him, you will experience him perhaps in ways you never have. Let me pray with you. Father, in the name that is above every name, and we are grateful for Jesus, but in his name, may we live in a way that would cause your body to grow and would allow you to work through us to take good news to the nations. May we be on mission, whatever that is, wherever that is, whenever that is. May we be on mission as the body of Christ, recognizing that you're always working around us and we are a part of your body. And Lord, whenever we're tempted to slide away from the church family, remind us of how desperately you need us and how desperately we need each other. And I pray that in Jesus' name.